talk about. So with that being said, let's just pray here real quick. Heavenly Father, once again, we're just thankful for the time to be here. Lord, we just pray that you be with us in all ways and all things. And as always, Lord, you teach, we listen for your spirit. And just pray that you bless the uh, classrooms and the program practice going on in the back of your name. Amen. Real quick FYI, I don't know if I got mentioned or not, uh, there is no Wednesday night service December 26th. So no Wednesday night church December 26th there. i to make sure you guys know that. So Luke chapter 9, continuing our study here through the book of Luke. Some very famous passages tonight, I should say today. And I want to continue right on with our study here. So without much further ado, verse 18, it says, And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And he asked them, saying, Who do the crowd say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. Now we've heard this story before. We know in Matthew's account that it goes a little deeper. And this is where it says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Arjona, you know, upon you I'll build my church. But right here, before we get into that, don't skip over verse 18. It talks about Jesus praying. Now there's nothing earth shattering there. We know this numerous times throughout the gospel. Jesus was praying. But there's another word there. He was alone praying. Nothing really earth-shattering there. The Bible says that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness by himself to pray. But what I want you to focus on, verse 18, and it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. I think that's important. The disciples saw him praying, and they joined him. Jesus set the example, and they then followed the example. I think that's important. I remember when we had our uh, first kid... They uh, had a baby shower for Dawn, and one of the things they did at the baby shower was write down tidbits of advice, you know, for a first-time mom. And one of the tidbits of advice that one of the gals here from church wrote down was, make sure your kids see you doing devotions. Now, that's a good rule. Now, that's hard to do. I like to be alone. I like to be quiet when I'm trying to pray and do devotions. I was trying to work on the message the other day, and as I'm trying to work on the message, I started working on the message in the living room. Well, the kids wanted to play in the living room, so then I moved to our bedroom to work on the message. Well, in our bedroom, what happened was uh, Dawn needed to put the baby down, so moved in, got kicked out of that one. Then moved into one of my kids' rooms, got kicked out, finally ended up being in the basement because that was the only quiet place I could find. And I like the quietness. I like the aloneness of praying and doing devotions. But I realized, too, now, when I do that openly at the kitchen table, it's a little more hectic. But the kids come up and say, hey, what are you doing? I'm reading. I'm praying. I'm studying this. They see that. They see the example. See here in verse 18? They saw Jesus praying. So when they went to Jesus and he was praying, he didn't say, hey, guys, can you stand over there a little bit? You're talking too much. He didn't leave. They actually joined him. What a neat example for us. And I tell you this, parents. If you have kids, if you want to have your kids be kids that pray, then you need to be parents that pray. If you want to have kids that want to go to church and read the Bible, then you need to be parents that read the Bible and go to church. And it's not even if you have kids. It's even whatever area of life you're in. If you want your spouse to hopefully go deeper in their relationship with the Lord, you go deeper, and they'll see that. If at work you want to change your work environment, you want more peace, you set the tone, and hopefully people will join you. You want more peace in your home environment, you set the tone, and hopefully people will follow it. Set the example people will follow. Jesus set the example here of prayer, and his disciples joined him. What a powerful statement that is. Now, look at what he says, though. First thing he asks them, verse 18, who do the crowds say that I am? Now, we've said this out here many times. Anytime Jesus asks a question, he's never asking because he doesn't know the answer. He already knows the answer. He knows what they say. John the Baptist, Elijah, etc. He's asking the question to get them to ponder and think. And what's he really want to know? Verse 20, who do you say that I am? Key word there is you. Who do you say that I am? Jesus wants to know, guys, 
Who am I to you? I've shared with you before, when I first got saved, I started telling people about the Lord. I would just simply ask them, do you believe in God? Well, everybody said yes. Well, next thing I started realizing, that, that wasn't a deep enough question. So I started asking, are you a Christian? Well, nearly everybody said yes. I mean, the vast majority of people in America believe in God. The majority of people in America claim to be Christian. Now, when I really want to know where somebody stands with the Lord, I try to ask them, who is Jesus to you? Because when you ask them, who is Jesus to you, they need to stop and think, who is Jesus for me? See, it's easy to say I believe in God because your God may be different than my God. It's easy to say that I'm a Christian because that just means I go to some Christian church. But when I ask, who is Jesus, I really have to stop and think, who is Jesus to me? So when Christ is asking this in verse 20, who do you say that I am? He says, I don't want some religious cop-out answer. I want to know, who am I to you? And that's a great question to ask today. Who is Jesus to you? Now that's just going to depend. For some of you, he's a good guy. He lived a couple thousand years ago. He made some good points. I like his moral teachings. I like what he stands for. I like Jesus. You have this casual friendship relationship with him. For some of you, Jesus is closer than that. You know, when I need him, he's there. Now, I can handle my life 25 out of 30 days of the month. But those four or five days where things really get tough, I'm glad Jesus is there for me. You're still missing it. Who is Jesus to you? Hopefully he is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of God that died on the cross for your sins. Not just somebody you know casually, not just somebody you hang out with, not just somebody you were raised with, and not just somebody you go to when you're having a bad day, but a daily thing with Christ, and we're going to build on that in a little bit. Now, when this big reveal happens, you would think that he'd want everybody to go say something, but look at verse 21. And he strictly warned them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Verse 21 is really strange. Wouldn't the assumption be, go tell everybody about the Lord? And that's what we preach. That's what we tell our boys all the time. What is your sole purpose of being on this earth? My sole purpose is to tell people about Christ. And here in verse 21, don't say anything. That's kind of interesting. Now, it's not that he didn't want anything said. It just wasn't the time for it to be said. He wasn't hiding from who he was. It just wasn't the time. Christmas is coming up here in a couple weeks, right? You guys have been out. You've been buying gifts. Some of you, you probably have gifts already bought. And what have you done? You, you've hidden them in your house, right? So the other day, yesterday, Rich and I were doing some hospital visits, and we were in Lima. And anytime I'm out doing something with the hospital visit, Rich is always such a good guy. We always usually go do something else, like shopping or something like that, because I'm out and about. Don't have the kids. Dawn sends a list and says, hey, can you swing by Walmart? Can you do this? Can you do that? And so anytime we go down to a visit, we usually end up doing a bunch of other things. Kind of a strange relationship we have. So we're going out, and I said, hey, we're in town. I don't have Dawn with me. I, got, I know what I want to get her for Christmas. Can we go do this? So we went to this one store. They didn't have it. Went to another store. They got it. Bought the Christmas gift, heading home. Rich says, you want to leave it with me? And I said, no, I can sneak it in the house. He goes, well, you know, don't want you to have to try to get past Dawn. So I got it in the house, and it was something that couldn't stay out in the vehicle. So I got it in the house, and I, and I put it up in our closet, which is in our front room, up on the top part of the closet. Now, this is a closet that we very rarely, if ever, use. So you know where this is going. About 45 minutes after I get home, Dawn goes to that closet. I put this thing on the top shelf. Dawn getting something out of the top shelf, and the Christmas gift literally falls. Hits her on the head. Now, Merry Christmas. Now... <laughs> Now, the point, though, is this started a firestorm of events. Mom got her Christmas gift. The boys thought it was Christmas. 
Let's all get our Christmas gifts. So if mom gets a gift, why don't we get a gift? If she's got her gift, we should have our gifts. No, that's not what we're doing. You don't understand. Mom wasn't supposed to find her gift. She found her gift by accident, so there it is. Well, you told us that we're not to look for gifts. Why is mom allowed to look for gifts if we're not allowed to look? It, it, it created this whole thing that went on for a while of it's not Christmas. You're not getting gifts. Mom did not go looking for gifts. The gift found her. It hit her in the head. She's got a concussion. Let's just move on. The, the point is... It's not that the gift was wrong. It's not that it was wrong that she necessarily found it. It wasn't the right time for it. And when it was the wrong time, it created this whole uproar that was losing the focus. Jesus is saying in verse 21, it's not that no one can know I'm the Messiah, but my point is not to be revealed right at this time. My point, verse 22, is I came to die. See, we don't think about this at Christmas. In a couple weeks, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. we got these cute little pictures of the baby in the manger, we forget that Christmas is the first step in a 33-year-long 33, 33 process of death. That's why he came. Look at verse 22 one more time. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected and by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. That is why Jesus came. So you've got to remember, we look at this world, we look at our lives, we get frustrated. This world is not a place of fun. This world is falling apart. There's death and destruction and war and torture. It's a horrible place. In our own personal lives, we are struggling with many things. And we sit here and say, well, if this is what Jesus came for, boy, he really did a horrible job. This is not what he came for. He came, according to verse 22, to die. Now, the second time he comes, that's when he fixes all the wrongs. The second time he comes is when he fixes the problems in people's lives. That's where he sets up the world system. That's where he rules and reigns. See, he knew in verse 21, if it was found out he was the Messiah, well, the Jews would say, good, get Rome off our back. Provide for my daily needs. We'll worship you. You set up your kingdom and we'll rule and we'll reign. That's all the second time he returns. First time he comes, it's death and suffering. And I have to deal with this sin problem that has to be dealt with. And Jesus is saying in verse 21, we're not ready to jump to the second phase. we got to do the first phase first. Christmas is in two weeks. Christmas morning, we'll go nuts for all that stuff. But for right now, we're still a couple weeks away for it. So Christ is saying, calm it down a little bit. Look again at verse 22 one more time. This is Christ's mission statement. The Son of Man must suffer many things. Be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Just look at some of these words and your translation may be a little different. Suffer, rejected, and killed. That's a tough calling. That's a tough mission. That's what he was there to do. Now he's trying to tell the disciples this. They don't get it. You know how many times throughout the Gospels, Jesus came right out and told them, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, but the end of verse 22, I'll be raised the third day. They never got it. In fact, in Luke 24, Luke 24, verse 7, when the disciples go to the tomb, the angel almost quotes this verse exactly, saying, Remember he told you this is what's going to happen. And the Bible says at that point, that's when the light bulb went on and they got it. Now that's encouraging to me. Sometimes I get up in the morning and I read. Sometimes I get up and I listen to a message. And I get done reading my devotional. I get done reading the Bible. I get done listening to the message. I walk away from that and I think, I didn't get a single thing out of that. I have, I have no idea what was going on. There's other times I read and I listen to the message and I walk away and I'm just like, wow, that's exactly what I needed to hear at this time. Thank you, Lord. There's other times where I walk away saying, I don't get it. See, sometimes the Lord shares something with us and it's for that moment, that day, that time. That's exactly what you need. There's other times he shares something with you and you walk away and you say, what's this for? And maybe for somebody you're going to meet later on in the day. 
that you can say, I want to share this word with you that the Lord gave me this morning. It may be for you later on in the day. Where at 8 o'clock in the morning, you didn't need that, but God knows what's coming at 6 o'clock in the evening, and that's when you need it. He will use that later on. That's the same thing that happened here. He told them, guys, this is what's going to happen. They didn't need it and get it for the day that he rose, Easter. That's when it clicked. So I've come to the conclusion now, when I go read and I get something in the morning and I don't understand it, or I say, Lord, this doesn't really apply, I keep that in the back of my head. I'm probably going to run into somebody today that I can share this with. I keep that in the back of my head thinking, you know what? Probably sometime later on today, this is going to pop up. What did Jesus say in John 14, 26? The Holy Spirit will bring these things to your remembrance. So when I spend time with the Lord, those things are stored in my mind, and God will bring that out the time that's needed. So that's what he told him. Now his calling, verse 22, is to suffer. Now he talks about us, verse 23. And he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whatever is ashamed of me, excuse me, for whoever is ashamed of me, in my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of his holy angels. Let's break down verse 23. Anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Look at the first word there. If anyone desires. Now that's what my new King James says. You're your translations may be a little different, but I like that word desire. You have to want it. You have to want to go deeper in the Lord. I've shared with many times how when I was younger in the faith or even younger as a pastor, when I wanted somebody to go deeper in the Lord, it was really easy. I'd just force it. You know, I'd make you go deeper. No fruit came out of that. I've come to the conclusion now, if you want to go deeper in the Lord, you're going to do it. If you want to get up and read in the morning, you're going to probably set your alarm and get up and read. If you're going to want to come to church, you're probably going to get up and come to church. You're going to desire it, and then as you desire it, you will put effort into it. I can't make you desire to have more of the Lord. And I don't know how many times we sit here and get frustrated with other people because they're not growing deeper. They have to want it. If they want it, if they desire it, they will grow. Until that time, it's our job to encourage, support, and pray for them. I don't know how many times I've seen a spouse come in and desire their spouse to go deeper in the Lord. That's great. I appreciate your heart. They have to want it. Or a parent comes in and desires their child to go deeper in the Lord. Once again, I appreciate your heart as a parent. Your kid has to want it. Your friend has to want it. Your coworker has to want it. They have to desire it. So question number one is, do you personally want it? Do you want to go deeper? See, here's the problem. Some people don't. They're content. This ain't bad. You know what? I mean, I got the God thing going. I know who Jesus is. I'm pretty content and comfortable with where I'm at. Hey, some of the most dangerous words in Christianity are content and comfortable when it comes to your relationship with Christ. If you're comfortable and content with where you're at with the Lord, you're missing out on going deeper. If you're content and comfortable where your marriage is at, you're, you're missing out on going deeper. There's always another level of closeness and a stronger, closer walk with Christ. The problem is not everybody wants that. If you want that, what do you have to do? Look at the next word. We desire it, and then what do we do? We have to deny ourselves. This is why people don't want it. You know how hard it is to deny yourselves? I had a pastor friend one time use this example. He says, the problem with most Christians is we have a case of ingrown eyeballs. The only thing we see is ourselves. And almost everything we do in life goes through the filter of how does this affect me? So when I need to deny myself and think of others, that is really hard to do. It's really hard to make that sacrifice to truly say, I'm going to put people above me. I don't know how many times I've heard this, and I've probably even said it myself, where somebody comes in and says, you know what, I spent all my life taking care of my kids, my friends, 
my co-workers, my spouse, my parents fill in the blank. I've spent all my life serving others. It's finally time for me to think about me. That's one of the most selfish things you can think about, is you. You think about yourself every day. You get up, you get cleaned, you feed yourself. You care more about you than you do anybody else. I tell people all the time, I have people come to me, and they're like, sometimes they feel so guilty because when they pray, they spend more time praying for themselves than they do for others. And I always tell them, I pray for me more than I pray for you. I mean, it's just a fact. We think about ourselves more than us. Jesus himself has a whole chapter where he's praying for himself. It's hard for us to put others before ourselves. And that denying ourselves is difficult because why? I've earned this. I want this. My heart desires this. And sometimes when our heart wants something and desires something, it's still not of a God. And we have to deny ourselves that and respect and listen to what the Lord says is good and right. So I desire him, and then I deny myself, and the next thing I do is take up the cross. Take denotes effort. It is effort to be a Christian. Don't let anybody fool you. It takes work to be a believer. It is easier, now let me finish my statement, it is easier to be a non-believer than it is to be a believer. But the ramifications of being a non-believer versus being a believer, it's not worth it. It is easier to not walk with the Lord. It really is. It takes effort. It is tough being the bigger person, being the one to forgive, being the one to forget, being the one to say, I'll be mature about this. It's tough to do. But God says, take up your cross. Now, what's your cross? Boy, you ask people about this verse, every single person's got a different opinion. I've heard people say the cross is something difficult in your life, just like the cross was for Jesus. It was a point of suffering. It was a point of shame. It was a point of just discouragement. And so the cross is whatever you have in your life that is bringing you down. Okay, that may be true. I've also heard people say, well, the cross is not something negative. It's your calling. You take up your cross. You take up your calling. Just as Jesus was called to the cross, I'm called to this. Either way you look at it, the cross is something that is in your life that you really don't have a choice about, and God says you need to take it up. Maybe you do have something you're struggling with. Maybe there's something physical, something emotional, something spiritual in your life, and it is a struggle for you. And God is saying, I want you to carry this burden because this burden will grow you and help you and make you go deeper. Maybe your cross is a calling that you really don't want. God's called you as the only believer on your shift at work. God's called you as the only believer in an unsaved house. God's called you to lead up that ministry, that prayer group. That's the cross he's asked you to carry. Either way, it's something that God wants for you. And some of your translations have this word, some of yours don't, but I think it fits in nicely where it says take up your cross daily. we got a lot of Christians that are Christians, you know, Sunday, 10 to 11.30. We've got an hour and a half a week. We've got a lot of Christians that are Christians maybe once or twice a week. We've got a lot of people that claim to be Christians maybe two, three weeks out of the month. Christ is looking for somebody to be a daily follower. Daily. That's a hard thing to do. That is a very difficult thing to do. And he wants us to do the last one here, follow him. He leads, not you. Some people are better at following than others. This is my personal opinion. Judah got a birthday gift not too long ago. And so he got his birthday gift, and it was this dinosaur that he got to paint and glue together, and he was really excited about it. So him and Elias decided they were going to work on it together. And so they sat down to work on it, and I was outside the kitchen, and I heard Judah say this. Judah said something to the effect of, Elias, you just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Now, that's Judah. Judah's just willing to be told what to do. He's willing to follow. He's got that heart. Now, Elias, the worst thing that you could do is try to lead Elias. He's the firstborn. He knows what he wants to do. He wants to be in charge. For some of you, the idea of following Christ, hey, Lord, you lead and I'll follow. For some of you, the idea of following, 
you know what, Lord, tell me the plan. I'll think about it and I'll get back to you and let you know whether that's what I want to do. Now, just, just clear all things with me, Lord. It doesn't work that way. This is what I've noticed. Have you ever seen one of those people where their life is laid out for them with confidence? They come to you and say, you know what? I know what the Lord's called me to do. He's called me to do this, this, and this, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. Those people generally have such a heart of following that the Lord can reveal the whole plan to them because the Lord knows they will just follow no matter what I say. If you're the type of person that the Lord doesn't reveal much to, take an honest look at yourself. You may be the type of person where you have to have everything cleared first. God says, I can't give you the full picture. I'll give you one tidbit. Once you do the first tidbit, I'll give you the second tidbit. Part of following is saying, Lord, whatever the plan is, I trust you. I trust you daily. I trust you with the cross you give me. I will deny myself and I desire to go deeper in you. Verse 23 is a powerful, deep verse. You have to desire more of the Lord. You have to deny yourself. Take up the cross daily and follow. When that happens, that's when the blessing comes of serving the Lord. Verse 24, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. How many people here desire their own life? This is my desire. This is my passion. This is what I want. So this is what I want. It doesn't matter what God wants. God says you need to lose your desires. Verse 24, you need to let go of all those things and focus on me. Lose your life and take the life I give you. Verse 25, for what profit is it to man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? That phrase there, lost, actually carries a spiritual significance. So what happens is they've gained the whole world, verse 25, but they're spiritually lost. Have you ever met somebody who's spiritually lost? Spiritually lost. They're jumping from guy to guy. They're jumping from gal to gal. They're jumping from job to job. There's no fulfillment in their life. There's no plan in their life. You talk to them one day, and they're doing this. You talk to them the next day, then they're doing this. And, and there's nothing. They're spiritually and utterly lost. They're not seeking the Lord on things. They're not doing what they, God wants them to do. And so they're really just kind of wandering around life with no plan or no purpose. Why? They never gave their life to the Lord. They think they still have a say. They think... They still get to direct things. That's what they think. And it's really a very freeing thing when you step back and you say, Lord, I deny myself. I desire more of you. I take up the cross you give me, and I follow you. I lose my life for what you feel is best. Boy, when you do that, that's when it all comes together. It takes us to our last verse. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes to his own glory. And then his fathers and of the holy angels. That idea of... Shame. It's a powerful thing. That's a real powerful thing. When you stop and you're not willing to be open and honest about who you are in the Lord. No, just be honest with yourself. Let's put this all together now that we talked about here today. Who do the crowd say that Jesus is? You know, for some of you, you say, well, to some people, he's their master. He's a good moral teacher. Fill in the blank. That's great. Who is Jesus to you? Now, you may say, well, I know who he's supposed to be to me, but who is he to you? Be honest with yourself. We're getting ready to take partake of communion here in a little bit. And one of the verses in communion in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, let a man examine himself. Now, just honestly ask yourself, who is Jesus to me? Is, is he your friend that you call when you need him every couple of days? Is he somebody that you're daily with him? Is somebody that you see on Sunday? I mean, who is Christ to you? I can't answer that question. But you really have to stop and say, What's important to me? What is it that the Lord wants in my life? For some of you, I think Christ is, um, well, hopefully for nobody here, but for some people in the world, Christ is just, he's there. I know he's there. 
They don't really care. Boy, those are the ones that need Jesus. For some of you, he's daily there. He's your master. He's your savior. He's everything. Amen to that. For some of you, there's this almost lukewarm relationship with him where I know him, he knows me, but we could be closer. For some of you, it's somebody that was in your life and at one time it was really strong. Now, let's just look at those for a second. If you've never met him or you've never really known him, let's just knock this down real quick. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And with that idea of heaven and hell, we will spend eternity forever in either heaven or hell. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the debt that I could not pay. My sin keeps me out of heaven. God is perfect. He demands perfection. If I go knock on the pearly gates and say, can I come in? If I'm bringing sin, he says, no, that sin has to be dealt with. But through Jesus, he takes the sin away from me. So when I knock on the pearly gates and I say, can I come in? God looks at me and he says, I see Jesus paid the sin for you. Come on in. That's the first group. Second group, I hope you have that daily relationship with them. Amen. If so, enjoy that. For some of us, though, at one time we were strong. But when we honestly look at ourselves, we see ourselves not where we should be. I just want to share this verse with you real quick. It's out of Jeremiah 2. We're actually going to go through this on Wednesdays. God is speaking to Israel. He goes, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness. Jesus, excuse me, God is saying there, I remember when you wanted me, and now you don't. Just, just be honest. Was there ever a time in your life where you really wanted more of the Lord? You were passionate. You were excited. You were deep. And now that his excitement and that passion has waned. Today is the day to say, Lord, I want that again. I desire you. I deny myself. I take up my cross. I follow you daily. That's where it all comes together. Let's pray here real quick. Heavenly Fathers, we just get ready to partake here of communion. We just stop and think about all these words, what this means. Lord, your word says that we're supposed to examine ourselves as we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Lord, we want to do that right now. Look at our lives. If there's somebody here today that does not know you, I pray that you're opening their eyes and ears to what a real relationship with you is. Not religion, but you. Lord, if there's someone here that at one time was strong, focused on fire, they've left that. Lord, I pray that they would come back, that they would desire a deeper, stronger relationship. Lord, for those that are here where they're in a good season of life, thank you for that, and I pray you continue to bless them. For those that are here today in a strong struggling season of life. Encourage them. Lord, we get ready to give ourselves over to you in communion. And as we get ready to partake of this, we know what it means. It represents your body, your blood that died us. Before we do that, we examine ourselves and we come to you and we give you our areas of sin. We give you our areas of weakness. We give you our physical, emotional, and spiritual struggles. We ask you to